Welcome to episode 99 of the Search with Candor podcast recorded on Friday the 19th of February 2021. My name is Mark Williams-Cook and today I'm going to be joined by Rob Lewis where we'll be discussing the changes to Google Ads match types and the impact that's going to have on managing Google Ads accounts as well as some of as Rob's predictions for the future. We'll also be talking about Google Search Console Core Web Vitals testing and some nuance there that you might not be aware of. Before we kick off, as always, I would like to tell you about Sightbulb, which is our very kind sponsor for this podcast. If you haven't heard about it before, Sightbulb is a desktop-based SEO auditing tool for Windows and Mac. It's something I've used personally and my agency has used for years now. Um, It's an incredibly popular bit of software with good reason. It's central to a lot of the work we do, especially the, the kind of more technical SEO work. And every week I talk about one of the features that I like because um, they're pretty good at bringing out new features. So there's always something to talk about and just, just things they've been improving. And today, because we're going to be talking about the core web vitals, I thought performance was a nice topic to pick. And that's something that the site bulb auditing tool will actually cover for you as well. So when it comes to auditing sites, one of the, I guess you can call it kind of a mistake or um, maybe, maybe not to the level I would like it to be when I've, when I've seen some audits, when they cover performance is essentially they just kind of dump a, maybe a screenshot of like the web core vitals results or some other speed tool, which just basically says, yeah, you've scored badly. Um, you need to fix that. And it will list some very kind of generic things that may or may not be, be causing that issue. And what I like about Sightbulb is it starts to give you more insight, more detailed insight about the things on your site that are affecting performance. And performance, you know, I I would caveat it with there's very few SEOs, myself included, I think, that can really go deep, deep into performance as a topic because it's actually really complicated. It's almost like a never ending thing. It it covers loads of different uh, specialisms from knowledge about front end stuff, back end stuff, about actual servers, server configuration and management. You know, performance is super complicated. So I always always encourage SEOs to talk to developers about it, get their point of view and, you know, be humble, certainly when you when you take these suggestions to them. So the thing I like about Sightbulb is I ran um, I ran a, an audit just before uh, recording this podcast and in the performance it, it pops up with you know the basic things that you'll find on online tools like oh images are too big they've been rescaled uh, stuff hasn't been minimized but it goes ex- the extra step to look at things like it's giving me uh, feedback that the the document object model the DOM width is 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 too wide so that's that's not optimal for browsers it's talked even about the caching settings so that the cache is set to private on some of the resources um, so that's not going to be optimal. And these these kind of 
um, nuggets of advice are really good places to start the conversation with developers. So while I understand myself most of the stuff that it's fed back on, I still like to go to developers and just say, hey, can we have a conversation about this? What does this mean? What do you think about it? Can we fix it? And I find that so much more helpful than sometimes the uh, advice you get from the more generic online tools that's easily discarded. So that's just one of the things I love about Sitebulb. Um, they've got a lovely deal for you listeners of this podcast, which is if you go to sitebulb.com forward slash SWC, you can get a 60-day free trial of Sitebulb, no credit card required, all of that lovely stuff. So you can just, just go try it out. So please do. Core Web Vitals is something that I want to start this podcast on. Uh, it's a really interesting topic. We're approaching now the um, the deadline that Google set where they said it's going to become a ranking factor. And I'm seeing all of the usual expected conversations about, well, how much of a ranking factor will it be? And some people thinking it's going to be significant. And from what I feel like the majority thinking it's going to be maybe quite a small impact. Certainly, I think a lot of people got burnt by the by the mobile get an update where um, it was kind of widely believed there's going to be a massive impact on mobile friendly sites and it didn't really turn out to be true. So I think SEOs are a lot more cautious now about kind of crystal ball gazing. There are a few things I'd like to talk about, though, with Core Web Vitals, and that's how we measure them. If you want to know more about the actual metrics, if you go to the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk, you'll find links to our previous episodes where we've gone into depth about the three Core Web Vitals metrics and why they were picked and a bit more about them. Generally, they're picked because they are quite generic metrics and they apply across any website. But some of the detail that maybe people not so involved in SEO don't know is the different ways that they're measured. And this is two main ways, which are what can be referred to as lab tests, which are these one-off tests where you just run um, a tool like Lighthouse and you will get the results that may differ if you run them immediately again because they're dependent on your browser, your internet connection because you're running that test locally. And then there's the data you get within Google Search Console, which if you if you click on the information arrow, it will tell you that it's from what's called the Crux, which is the Chrome user experience report, which is essentially aggregated data from real Chrome users. So you're you're getting feedback as to actually the speed that they're experiencing. Why this is particularly important as a side note is because while there are benchmarks set for what is a good, medium and bad experience with, the, with these core web vitals, they're not objective in that just because if you run a lab test and it measures them all as green, doesn't that mean doesn't mean that's what your users are experiencing? So, if all of your users are from a part of the world where the internet connection speeds, on average, are much slower, they if they run the same test, they might get a yellow or, or red result. So, that data in Google Search Console is extra helpful because it allows you to align your performance with your actual audience. And that goes into the whole 
kind of section of internationalization with websites and SEO and experience. So internationalization isn't just a language and a cultural thing, but it is a technology thing as well. So if you had, for instance, um, three or four markets that your website appeals to, and one of those markets geographically has a lot slower internet connection on average, you actually might want to make that version of your site a lot lighter so you score better. But the point and what I wanted to talk about was a question that I had to go to Google with because I didn't know the answer. Someone approached me with their Core Web Vitals results in Search Console and asked the question, is the data we're seeing here when it marks a URL as good or bad or whatever, is it 28 days old? And the reason they ask that is if you fix something in the Core Web Vitals, and you want to validate that in Google Search Console, the validation button will basically say that we will start to monitor things from this point, and once we're happy after 28 days of collecting that data, we will kind of mark this off as fixed. So their question was, if the data in Google Search Console is this field data, does that mean it takes 28 days to actually see those errors appear in Google Search Console because that would make sense, right? Because if it's taking that long to to validate that there's an issue that, that the issue's fixed, surely it should take that long to actually detect it in the first place. So I, I brought this to Google and their answer, uh, John Mueller kindly answered saying, yes, is based on field data. So it takes that long to populate the report. The populated data is then used for alerting it's probably a good idea to automate monitoring with lab tests so you can catch issues slash unexpected changes early. So that seemed like a pretty clear answer. When we went back and reviewed the data, interestingly, this person had made two major changes to their website and the data in Search Console looked like it picked up from that day within a few days. So we've actually started a test where we've purposely put like 40 large JavaScript files in the header of one poor website and we're seeing how long it takes for that poor score to appear in Google Search Console. However, the, uh, what I'm expecting the result to be is the, the errors will appear, I would guess, after a few days in Search Console. They'll be backdated to when that error first appeared and my guess would be, as we continue to do more tests, that it's also going to be based on like the volume of traffic the site gets. So I'm understanding that the reason why there is this delay is Google just wants to confirm it is actually an issue across um, a, a time range and across a spread of different users. Because, as I said, it can be impacted by individual users as well. So I, I imagine the kind of confidence level in the amount of data they need will, will be different um, depending on the website. However, the point still stands that it's not instant. And therefore, John's advice is good, which is it's probably a very good idea, if you don't already, to set up some kind of automated monitoring on your sites for Core Web Vitals. So if something does get changed um, and it does 
kind of trash your score and it trashes the user experience more importantly that you become aware of that as soon as possible so you can, you can, you can fix things a lot quicker. I thought that was an interesting point. It, it seems from the people I talked about as well, it hasn't been widely thought about and discussed, so I put that out there for you. This is something I actually wanted to talk about a week or two ago, but I needed Rob with me really to do it properly. And that is the actually very significant update to Google ads and how their matching works. So most people be aware when you set up Google ads campaigns, there's various types of matching phrase, broad, exact, that allows you to, to put your targeted keywords in and based on a set of rules, they will or won't show your ad. And that's really important because <clears throat> we know because of the diversity of how people do searches, it would be it would be absolutely impossible to try and kind of uh, divine every possible combination of words that people would type in. But this has been the core for how Google ads and previously AdWords worked. But now, Rob, as I understand it, there's been some pretty major changes, right? There has been. Um, but just to be completely clear, what they've announced isn't necessarily a fundamental change that's about to happen. They're simply confirming something that's been in place technically for quite some time that they hadn't openly admitted to, if that makes sense. So okay. it, it's, it's quite misleading because it reads as though there's a fundamental change about to happen but this fundamental change has been in process for at least a year and a half anyway. But I'll go into that as, as we go on. Um, but I think we should probably begin with the, the announcement that Google has made and, and go from there. So I'll, I'll just read out um, a snippet from their announcement. They've said, starting in February 2021, Phrase Match will begin to incorporate behaviours of Broad Match Modifier to simplify keywords and make it easier to reach relevant customers. With this change, both phrase and broad match modifier keywords will have the same matching behavior and may show ads on searches that include the meaning of your keyword. They then go on to give some specific examples. Um, and then later on in the update, they have confirmed that in July 2021, the ability to create broad match modified keywords will be stopped. So... So to me, that, that reads like a big update, right? Yeah, I mean, it, on the one hand, it is. But this update, for, for anyone that's been managing Google accounts full time in depth, they'll know that these fundamental changes have been causing all sorts of problems for at least a year. I would say for the last 18 months, they've been slowly broadening up the match type close variant algorithm, if you will. Um, so I, I find the statement quite misleading because it, it reads on the assumption that match types function in the same way that they have done for years, which they haven't. Um, so I, for those that don't fully understand the different match types, I might as well just go through the three main types, really, which are exact phrase and, and broad or, or broad match. Um, so starting with exact match. Um, exact match is quite misunderstood nowadays. Um, and it's assumed 
that if you use exact match that the search query will more or less exactly match the keyword that you've input um, with some exceptions to various word ordering the word ordering may change or if the meaning of the user search is the same as some of the words in your keyword it may use a synonym the person may have used a synonym in their search exact may allow this to come through um, so in short, people tend to use exact match to avoid Google broadening up too much and to avoid close variants from generating clicks and spend. Now, that's the that's the understood definition of exact match. But actually, for the last 18 months, that's not been the case at all. Um, and actually, if you read the fine print under exact match, Google says ads may show on searches that are the same meaning or same intent as the keyword. So essentially, Google decides if the intent or meaning is the same, and, and that that decision is, is removed from the user in most cases, from the advertiser. That's actually something that you pretty much predicted, I remember, quite a long time ago when we spoke. You, you were talking about this shift away from um, advertiser-defined keywords to Google, just deciding what the intent was and, and showing the ad regardless kind of, of, of what you're yeah. targeting keyword-wise, right? Yeah, it's funny that you said that, the prediction, because I actually have some some bold predictions to make at the end of this podcast, which I'm, I'm, I'm looking wait. forward to vocalising. Um, so exact match, I think people people assume that their, key, that their traffic is safe under exact match, but it, it hasn't been. And I'll give some examples in a little while as, as to why. So the next step, step up on that is phrase match. And historically, phrase match would work by, if you bid on a term, I'll use the example red shoes um, for here as a keyword. If your keyword was red shoes as phrase match, it would capture any search where red shoes was mentioned within the user's search query. So if someone said, where can I buy some nice red shoes in Birmingham? That would be captured under phrase match because the term red shoes was used, regardless of what the user typed in before or after. Again, that's... We're talking about how the match types worked several years ago, um, and it hasn't been like this again for at least 18 months. And again, if you, if you read under the fine print, it goes a step further than its exact match fine print. It says, ads may show on searches that include the meaning of your keyword. And then this is the great bit. The meaning of the keyword can be implied, and user searches can be a more specific form of the meaning, which is a very, very dubious statement there. Um, but I, I suppose two years ago, they'd already started boarding up phrase match and they made it so that the word ordering could differ. So if you put red shoes as a phrase match, it would say shoes that are red would also be captured, for example. It's a close variant, but it's close enough. And I think advertisers can work with that. But again, I say I, I keep saying 18 months ago, I don't know the exact date, but the algorithm has gradually been broadening up and broadening up on all of the various match types. So I, I guess this brings me to broad match modified, which is what essentially they're going to remove. And, and this is what phrase match will turn into. So first of all, I'll talk about what broad match modified used to be. Okay, because it, it was such a powerful match type. And it used to work by, you'd have your keyword phrase, your, your, your keyword, which consists of multiple words. And if you put a plus sign before each word, you're essentially telling Google that the user's search has to include every word that you've put a plus sign in for it to show. And it would include misspellings. And again, it would include some synonyms. Um, but it, it, it was one of the most powerful keyword match types that 
pay-per-click managers would use because it allowed you to anchor onto individual word combinations of your choice. So if you had a really traffic-heavy campaign spending thousands and thousands per month, you could craft your own various flows of traffic that's built around the user's intent um, and other various subtle variations of their search that just allows you to curate your in, your entire um, flow of traffic into the campaigns and, and where your spend will be directed based on, I guess, pivots. I tend to call them pivot words. So there were certain search words that I pivot onto that, that dictate the performance. And I may want to avoid certain pivot words or I may want to focus spend on those pivot words. And Broad Match Modifier historically was perfect for that. Um, but again, for at least 18 months, Broad Match Modifier has basically been working in the same way as its standard Broad Match. So let's not confuse Broad Match with Broad Match Modified. Broad Match is basically the broadest match type you can have. So if you if you had red shoes, for example, as your keyword, Broad Match could pull in things like nice trainers, you know, or cheap shoes or plimpsolds, things that actually you're not wanting to direct users to and it makes it very difficult to direct users to the best landing page if you're selling red shoes you want to send them to the red shoes landing page or a page where there's lots of red shoes you don't want to you know you don't want people who are looking for plimp so plimp or or green i don't know green ballet shoes to arrive on your red shoes page so this is really important in terms of giving control to the advertiser and where you ultimately decide to direct people to um and as I say, broad match, not broad match modified, broad match was the broadest type. Now, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but just to summarise, broad match modified has not worked like broad match modified of the past for a long time, and it has worked in much the same way as broad match. Um, so essentially, when Google say they're going to remove broad match modified and turn phrase into into broad match modified so that it will work the same, what they're actually saying is phrase will become the broadest method of traffic generation, i.e. broad, is what they're saying. Wow. So um, <clears throat> it's been quite a few years since I've personally managed a PPC campaign. And um, the the kind of nearest update that I was aware of kind of around this topic was, and this was a long time ago, when they changed exact match and i think they started calling it closed variant right which is which is mm. i guess the seed of these changes when google had decided that hey you guys are being stupid because you're missing out on loads of traffic because you're blocking it off with with this exact match so we're going to help you out and spread it and mm. i i had no idea that um you know so i read this announcement and my assumption was that everything had pretty much been the same. So it's, it's actually quite a surprise to me to hear you say um, that it looks like we've been slowly moving towards this anyway. So I guess Google's been experimenting, seeing what it does oh. to their revenue probably as well, seeing complaints <laughs> they get and just just working, seeing, you know, so if it works. And now that I guess they've determined that it's pretty much there, that they're kind of flicking the switch on it, it seems, right? Yeah. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I, I think in a previous podcast, we discussed close variant. And I gave an example, actually, funnily enough, on an exact match keyword that was bringing in really broad traffic. And the example was on one of my clients who's a niche training provider. 
and they provide training courses. And in this example, they got hit off with just a few days worth of traffic that had flown through via the exact match keyword where it didn't even say courses. The, the, um, the keyword mentioned courses and training course and um, learning, online learning. But the search query completely omitted that and just went for the broad description of what they were teaching. Now, it's really important as a pay-per-click manager that you only drive qualified traffic. And you don't, if, you're, if your client, and I'm just using um, training as an example here, there are millions of different examples I could give. But if your client provides training courses, you want to qualify that user you want to make sure they're in the market for a training course and that they are actively searching for a training course. You know, it's not like SEO where it's free traffic and you can afford to, to raise awareness and in, in the top part of the funnel with Google ads, you want to experiment with different parts of the funnel, but you want to ultimately have control over the step that they're in, in that funnel. And ultimately the cheapest and best lowest cost converting keyword you're going to have is the one that describes the product and the need of that person and that person wants a training course and you know I'll, I'll give an example of a music training course let's just say you offer um guitar lessons online you're going to want to bid on the keyword um guitar lessons online or guitar courses e- e-learning guitar courses you're not going to want to bid on really broad keywords like music training or even the broadest possible keyword which google will bring in nowadays on an exact match music new music music ideas you know that's that takes the control away from the advertiser and and adds a massive black hole into their spend i remember i think it was from again a previous episode one example that sticks out in my mind was when we were doing a a campaign i think for a cafe and Google had started targeting, was it the word pub? Is mm. that right? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was pub. It and was, obviously, yeah, yeah they're, they're kind of similar things, but in, t- you know, in terms of actual, you know, something, somewhere you want to go, they're completely different. You know, you wouldn't yeah. say, let's go to the cafe and then go to the pub, or maybe the disappointment would actually be the other way around. If you said you're going to the pub and you ended up in the cafe, but you know, yeah. that, that to me was a huge difference. And I saw, yeah. you know, that was on exact match so do you think it's in you know do i i don't hear this talked about a lot which is um this role i guess of ppc managers to almost like track the algorithm like seos are doing is that a thing that you pay a lot of attention to it it is it's not something i read up on though it's something that i experience and there's been lots of um changes to the algorithm over the years and I think one of the most fundamental changes that I experienced that has I don't see people discussing it online but it totally flipped everything on its head and changed my entire optimization process and this was probably around four or five years ago this change started to occur but back when I first started managing AdWords campaigns around 10 years ago the only way to explain it is that there is a constant flow of traffic going through Google search. I mean, obviously there would be because there's a constant flow of searches taking place. Now, what Google, what AdWords allowed you to do was to to capture that flow of traffic as it occurred and you would use the match types 
to latch on to the site to the type of traffic that you want um so i always in my mind i always use the analogy of like a flow of of motorway traffic and there are different types of car different types of traffic and the match types and the keywords you chose would allow you to choose the flow that you wanted and show a billboard to them as that flow went through the search if if that analogy makes sense as it makes sense to me in my head anyway but that's how i always looked at it and so you could always show your ad when that tra- when that traffic flow flowed through your keyword as it happens as long as you know as your quality score was high enough and you know your ad was relevant enough but what happened a few years back is that 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 changed and they made it so that the keywords that you added there had to be a significant amount of search available for that keyword in order for it to be um able to go into the auction and this this was a bit of a problem back when I some of my old ecom clients I used to manage where there was this there was this technique that we used to do where we'd export the entire product feed um and convert the product titles into different pivots different keywords based around the product title and we'd use broad match modifier on the individual words that built up and described that product and you'd have this massive campaign built around the different variations of the product title and they would capture the traffic flows and they would convert really high, uh, really low cost per conversion at a really good ROI because you were showing ads to users that were searching for specific product related searches. But then they changed that and you could no longer capture and control the various flows or, or words, individual words. Instead, it's changed over time gradually. And I've noticed the biggest change to this algorithm in the last year i'd say is that it's now you put a keyword in and google will decide whether that keyword is relevant and google will send some traffic that it thinks is related to that keyword no longer are you actually in control of the flow of traffic and when the ad shows google is control of that but it looks at the hints it looks at what the keyword you've inputted in is and how it thinks the user search relates to that keyword if that makes sense yes got it so what (laughs) i mean i guess we're building up to the point at which you need to give us some answers on uh, (laughs) there you know how well i guess two two things how how can ppc managers business owners again adapt to these changes because Mm. certainly you know there's nothing we can do to fight them we just have to kind of play the hand we're dealt Mm -hmm. and you um you said earlier which i'm really interested in uh you said you've got some other bold future predictions so Mm. so what are they well first of all in terms of how you can mitigate wasted spend and improve performance i can only say what it is that i've been doing and i found for the last year or so i'm there's less attention on my end in terms of match types and keyword placement and it's more about campaign sculpting is how I tend to refer to it which is where you look at the search queries that are coming through and you add carefully placed negatives to avoid certain flows of traffic and to then direct that flow of traffic that converts lower but that you still want into another campaign so you carefully place negatives in the campaigns that you want to separate from other flows of traffic. So it's essentially the same way as of match types and, and keyword placement. It's just, it's the other way around. It's about blocking certain flows and redirecting them to other campaigns. And I find that that's, 
that's something that people that pay-per-click managers have had to do with shopping campaigns for a long time because you can't control you that you don't use keywords on shopping campaigns you know you can you can only look at the search queries that come through and and add negatives but i'm finding i do that now with just standard search campaigns um this this is becoming more difficult over the last few months because the the latest major update that Google announced was that it was hiding a percentage of search query data from pay-per-click. Um, so it might be that there's really, really broad traffic coming through on the campaigns that you don't want, um, but you just don't know because it's being hidden. So the one thing I can suggest is go back to the basics and do some keyword research around your core keywords and find out what keywords Google was suggesting are relevant. Anything that you think is irrelevant, export it, import it into a negative keyword list, and make sh- as an exact match, and make sure that Google can never um, can never waste your money on those keywords that it deems irrelevant, but actually are not. I think the other thing we mentioned because we spoke about that when Google did that change was uh, even spending a bit more money in places like Bing because you're still getting the keyword data from there, right? So you can Absolutely. sometimes see those additional negatives that you might want to add but your analogy really makes sense to me so this is basically saying you know um right you know you're you are you're sculpting because you are getting it to the final form you want by removing things rather than building it exactly how you might want it it's funny actually because when i first started as a as a as a pay-per-click executive years ago my main job was adding negative keywords. And then when you be- when Google offered a bit more control with broad match modifier keywords, the need to add negatives stopped for years. And of, of course, you always have to check the search queries and add negatives. But it's like I'm going back to my roots now. <laughs> and just a lot of my optimization time is adding negatives, stopping Google from spending that. I don't want that. Um, shopping campaigns, actually, I-, I-, I should note, have become particularly broad. Um, and I've had cases recently where um, shopping ads are being clicked on when people has just done a people have just done a Google search for a color like the color red, you know, wow. and, and they've shown an ad and it's for a, um, a red jacket, for example, that I'm selling. And yet Google have decided, yeah, red. They've said red, so let's show it. And so you, I'm having to add exact match queries of colors, um, numbers shoe sizes for clients that are you know i've got clients that sell footwear and people are just typing in searches like what is a size nine in usa um hasn't even you know mentioned the product um you know that the specific type of footwear it's got really broad so having to create really in-depth negative lists around these things um so yeah there's a lot of keyword negative adding to be done at the moment and that's my main recommendation is to keep a careful eye Um, what i often do is i'll look at the search term query report for my phrase and exact match keywords and i narrow down on the close variant search terms and just have a look and see how broad it's going and i think you'll be surprised what kind of broad um close variant matching google is applying at the moment and i've got some other i've got some predictions so um my predictions for this year and beyond are to expect Google to start hiding more search query data. Um, I, I've, that's not a surprise. They've already started doing it. They're going to probably do it even more. Dare I say it, maybe one day in the not too distant future, they may completely block 
the search query data and site privacy reasons. My second prediction is to expect Google to start ignoring negative keywords. And I have this bit of a hunch that maybe they're already doing this on the hidden search query data. But how do you prove that? You know, that's just a theory that I have in mind and I'm monitoring it. Um, but I, I, I don't know for certain. But I imagine at some point they will decide to ignore negatives because that negative keywords are our one major control at the moment to avoiding wasted spend because they've removed the match query, the match type approach. Um, I'm also expecting dwindling pay-per-click performance to be a main reason for Google to prompt you to move towards smart campaigns because if you're if they're removing the control for you to be able to improve performance the their um their main um reason for you to move over to smart campaigns is for better performance but the only reason we may be having better performance now with smart and automated campaigns is because they're removing manual control from us um, um and the other the other closing thoughts i have are don't neglect other channels. So you've already mentioned Bing. Um, I know Facebook is a bit of a in a state of flux at the moment in terms of um, iOS changes and other things that are going on. But don't neglect Facebook and Instagram. Explore other channels, even Pinterest. Um, and also listen to your pay-per-click manager, not what Google says, because ultimately your pay-per-click manager wants your campaigns to perform really well and maintain a good, close relationship Google just wants to take your money at the moment, it seems. So th those are my closing thoughts and predictions. Wow, I've learned I've learned a lot there. And I think so to um to sum up Rob's analogy there, imagine your pay-per-click manager is this artist that's sculpting you, this lovely model out of clay. Um Google's come along and slapped all of the tools out of their hands and then kind of just kind of whacked their hand into it and mashed it around a bit. And then they say, um, well, look, they're not doing a very good job. Why don't you let us sculpt it for you? I think it's pretty much the analogy for the for the removal of various tools, controls and data we're seeing. You said it so uh, much more Google eloquently ads. than I could have. That's the perfect um, analogy. But I think it's a really interesting point, though, about um, not many people discussing Google ads, algorithm updates, or it might be actually that I'm listening to the wrong people because as you know, I'm mainly in kind of SEO centric groups. So I might have a little ask around and see if that's something people are talking about. But thank you so much, Rob. I learned a lot um, from yeah, chatting to you about this. You're welcome. So we will be back in one week's time, of course, which will be March the 1st, 2021. And it will be episode 100. So, um, yeah, I feel like I should do something special for episode 100, but um, I have nothing planned yet. Uh, maybe, I don't know, I'll do a special intro, a bit of music or something. <laughs> or maybe something not quite as lame, I don't know. Um, I'll have a think. But I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope you enjoyed um, the insights, especially Rob's uh, detailed insights on the changes in Google Ads. If you're enjoying it, of course, subscribe, all that lovely stuff. And I hope you have a lovely week.